This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a workspace designed for women and their advocates. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement and ambition. I think it's important to a life well lived is really mindfulness. And that's not only the mindfulness of being present in the moment and really aware of your environment, but also being really intentional about what does success look like to you and you know, how do you want to feel on that path towards success? Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Lisa Abramson, keynote speaker, best-selling author, executive coach, and entrepreneur. Lisa's corporate and individual programs teach overachievers how to create sustainable success and have been taught at Google, Cisco, the Stanford Graduate School of Business, LinkedIn, YouTube, Salesforce, Goldman Sachs, Bain & Company, and many others. Lisa has also shared her five ways to lean in without burning out as a TEDx talk and Fast Company article. Lisa and I met at a conference in San Francisco a few years ago and have remained friends in part due to our shared interest in helping high achievers live a more joyful, present, and mindful life. Lisa shares her story of getting to the top of the corporate ladder, thinking, crap, wrong ladder, and what she did to redefine success and get back on a path that was meaningful to her. We also discuss how to start a meditation practice, even if you only have five minutes a day, Lisa's experience of postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis after the birth of her first child, and how she got through it by reaching out for support, and how to know when to go it alone and when to ask for support with personal and professional challenges. Also, just a heads up, this is the final episode of season three of Women on the Rise. I can't believe it. Thank you so much for listening, sharing episodes with your friends, subscribing, and leaving your ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. Your support means so much to me, and I can't wait to bring you more stories from women like you who made a change and are getting more out of work, life, and body. New episodes begin in September, but keep an eye on your Apple Podcast feed this summer as I share my favorite episodes from the archives and maybe some other fun stuff just for you. Enjoy my chat with Lisa. She's a rock star. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's my honor. Yeah. I'm excited. And, and, you know, we were just chit-chatting before we got started about how we had not caught up personally in a while, which reminded me, I was like, how did I meet Lisa? And it was at the Wisdom 2.0 conference, like what, two or three years ago. Is that right? Yeah. I think I said I liked your shoes and it started. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's totally right. I I don't even remember what the shoes were, but I do remember you commenting on them now that you mention it. That's hilarious. Anyway, yeah. And I immediately just fell in love with your work and what you're putting out into the world. So I, I would love to kind of start there you know, your work focuses on, you know, helping leaders sort of, as you put it, redefine success, achieve more and find joy in the hustle. How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, in many ways, but I think one of the key components that I talk about in my programs, and I think it's important to a life well lived is really mindfulness. And that's not only the mindfulness of being present in the moment, 
and really aware of your environment, but also being really intentional about what does success look like to you? And, you know, how do you want to feel on that path towards success? Because if I've noticed one thing strongly with all of the women and and a few good men that I've coached, it's these high achieving women and men, they put the pedal to the metal. They know how to jam and achieve their goals and grind it out. But if they're pointing in the wrong direction, that's just not going to work. I mean, you can still burn out doing something you love and pushing too hard, but it definitely, if you're pushing in the wrong direction and doing something that lacks meaning for you, you're going to burn out really quickly. And for Mm -hmm. me, I did that, you know, the ripe age of, I think I was 27, my first corporate (laughs) burnout. (laughs) So, um, and I say that jokingly, but the truth is, is I came into this work because of a personal interest. I was burning out and unfulfilled and curious about what I was going to do with my life. And I had this existential crisis at a young age and uh, started doing research about, you know, how was I going to manage my stress and anxiety and how was I going to figure out and get clarity about what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And that led me to being my own guinea pig and then finding out all of these awesome tools for coaching and mindfulness and self-compassion that just the research blew my mind. So I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, be my own guinea pig. And it transformed my life. And I said, yeah. okay, I want, to, I want to teach this to other people. I want to help them just like you and your journey. You know, you find something yeah. that works and you go, why don't people know about this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What was the turning point? Like, was it over a period of time for you or was there literally like a day where you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot live this way anymore? It was a slow and painful Painful burnout, (laughs) the truth. Um, I don't know if shit hit the proverbial fan at some point, but I did, I I don't know, at some point I just said, I've had enough. And then I was taking a shower one morning and I was like, today's the day I'm really going to go in and quit. I've been thinking about it for a year. That was actually, you know, and hands down to anyone who's done it, like quitting a corporate job that's well-paid, secure, safe, that you're doing well at, and not knowing what next, that was the bravest thing that I had done in my life up until that point was going in and having no roadmap, no plan, no idea what was next, but just saying like, enough's enough. This is not for me. And oh, I was shaking in my bones when I quit. I mean, it was literally terrifying. It is. You're absolutely right. I mean, as you know, I did the same thing and have had iterations of that same thing since then. And it's, it is, it's terrifying, which is so interesting too, because I guess it's just fear of the unknown really that causes that. I think it is. I think it's fear of the unknown. I think it's also that we spend so much of our waking time towards our profession or our work that our identity is so closely wrapped up in that. I mean, I really identified myself as a young marketing executive. You know, I was in the tech industry, like I was a techie, that was my identity. And so I needed to navigate away from that And, you know, that was also part of the genesis of creating some of my programs to help people find clarity and to also create a roadmap because us type A overachievers are planners and we want to do as much planning and prep as we can. And I try to help people with that when I coach them because it was really overwhelming, maybe more overwhelming than it had to be because I didn't have that plan. I was just like, I'll figure it out because I was so desperate. So now I want to help people and coach them like before necessarily they're at that 
crisis breaking point and like, here's the roadmap, here are some things that you can do to plan, to figure out, to make sure when you do make that move, you're making the right move into what you really care about. Any change is difficult for humans. So whether we're doing like a 10% change or a complete 180, it's still really uprooting. So I try to help people say like, let's really make sure you're pointing in the right direction before you go and change everything. Because do you agree the little change or a big change? It's still like everything. Absolutely. You know, this unrest, like transitions are really hard. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Like small or big changes. You're right. Just change in general. I mean, it's, it all seems to produce the same kind of anxiety. I see it in my clients. You know, I see it myself certainly. And I see it in my clients around making small changes. Actually, the anxiety comes up for my clients around (laughs) the fact that to your point, high achieving women or high achieving people in general like to have, you know, they like to have big plans and checklists and systems which have gotten them where they are. And so when I ask them to instead make small changes, the fear comes around, wait, is that an, am I doing enough? (laughs) Yeah. You know, which is an interesting thing. I'm curious though, you were just talking, you know, earlier about just burnout in general. And I feel like this word hustle has a lot of baggage around it, at least certainly in the entrepreneurial space. And I imagine, you know, in the corporate space, how do you define hustling? And is it necessary to hustle? I guess it depends on your definition. Anyway, so I'll let you answer that first. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think actually what you said right before asking the question about the women that both of us work with are worried about never doing enough and losing their competitive edge or not achieving enough or slacking or not putting enough pressure on themselves. So um, it's, it's marketing, baby. (laughs) <laughs> no, one, no one's interested in learning how to chill out or how to lean back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um, the truth is that sounded clever to me. And my old self was like, I like that. And <laughs> my current self is like, let's not be hustling. That sounds exhausting and terrible. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Well, no, let's talk about that. Because I agree with you. And I think one of the things that I've learned in my own journey as an entrepreneur, because yes, I am one of those women. I mean, I was like you was a marketing executive, just, you know, in the television industry and like my self-worth was all wrapped up in the hustle. And so one of the things that I've had to learn, I think as an entrepreneur is that yes, of course, driving things forward is important, which might be called hustling Mm -hmm. and creating space for flow, I'll call it, is also important. So it's this push and pull. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it's important. And just as we can get exhausted, like running too quickly, I think it also, if you try to move too quickly in the other direction of like, oh, like now you have, you know, an empty day with nothing scheduled and you used to be scheduled all day. It actually can be like just as anxiety producing as having a jam-packed day. So I think it's about really making adjustments and seeing how it feels and what level of structure feels good. Like, so that's kind of why the word hustle is still in there because there'll be times where you're like jamming and it feels good and it's working, but then it's about the balance and it's checking in and being intentional. Am I going in the right direction? How am I defining success? You know, there's toxic ways that success is defined around us. And if you want to be creating your own definition of success and having that be about maybe fulfillment or maybe around flexibility or being able to manage your own time. Like there's so many different definitions. So it's finding what works for you and then trying to honor that. So 
for me, I have to sometimes slow down and be like, I'm managing my own schedule. So if there's craziness or there's too much, it's, you know, that's on me to fix. So you don't get to blame the boss anymore when you're the boss, <laughs> although it would be tempting to. So I think it's, it's about being flexible and being iterative. It's not about, you know, hustling, working hard, being scrappy. I love being scrappy. I would say that's like one of my favorite qualities, like being resourceful, having grit. Like I take a ton of pride in that. And I think it's super important and I want to keep that, but not do it at the expense of my well-being or my happiness. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. a flexible balancing act. Give yourself permission for space and to give yourself permission to also just be like, you know, tonight I'm working through the night because I want to, and because this is important and I've set a deadline, but I'm going to make sure, you know, tomorrow I'm not working in the morning to make up for it because I can give myself permission to do that. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point because you do have to feel your way through the right mix of those things. And, and everyone's different as to what works, you know, how much push there is and how much allowing there is. And, you know, you sort of have to just feel into it. And then I think it changes over time too. So being in tune with yourself. And I think, you know, the mindfulness practices that you're talking about is one of the ways that you can really do that. So can you actually talk a little bit about what you've noticed about what changes for the women who participate in like your mindfulness programs or? Yeah. Uh, so one of the programs that I do is just a free 30 day meditation challenge. So people sign up and they get a five minute guided meditation emailed to them every day. And I've been shocked at like the women the right back and they're like, this just changed my total outlook. When I do the meditation, I have a much better day. I feel more at ease. I'm able to handle the challenges of the day. And this is like just five minutes in the morning that people are committed to just listen to a guided meditation and take some time. And I think that's because people are moving so quickly that this five minutes of space is so different from the rest of the day. So that's really important. It's just, you don't have to like redirect your whole life and go on a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Although I've been on one and they're awesome. (laughs) Great. That's like not for everyone and you don't need to, all of a sudden think you need another hour in your day, like five minutes will do. And you can start there and see where it leads you. So I think that's one thing that I've really noticed. Yeah. And so these women that write back to you and say, wow, this changed my day. Can you talk about sort of specific things they've seen happen as they continue to build on this meditation practice, like in terms of how they show up in their work and their life? Any thoughts around that? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, small stories of, you know, I had a a better interaction with my child because I was less flustered and we are able to have some quality time or, you know, I was able to support a coworker or get through a stressful presentation or, you know, maybe they realized I got an email yesterday that someone said, I realized I needed to quit a job that wasn't working for me. And this was a long time coming, but I did really hear the resounding truth that you need to hear. You need to have that voice inside of you say enough or it's time for change. And then I think the meditation helps without getting totally woo-woo. It helps you hear that voice Mm -hmm. and then trust it because there's a lot of noise out there. We've got so much stimulation and so much input and we're not giving ourselves the like mental, physical strength to deal with all of that. So I think it's definitely not a sign of weakness or anything is wrong that you would want to build on these mental resources. It's like doing biceps for your mind. Like we know you need to 
work out your body, you also need to keep your mind fit. And it's super important. It's our biggest asset, but we just like ignore. We're like, oh, distraction, this, that, input. People aren't sleeping and the work you do too. People, if you're not eating well, it also affects your cognitive abilities. So it's about just being open to that. It can make a big change and it matters. Yeah. I can't believe I'm actually going to quote Tom Brady, but I'm going to quote Tom Brady from an interview that he actually did with Oprah on Super Soul Sunday. I listened to it yesterday and she was asking him about how he eats and you know yeah. the sort of controlled environment that he keeps for his mind yeah. body health. He said, my body is my asset. Yeah. And obviously for him as an athlete, that is literally like, yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. And it is true for all of us. Right. Yeah. I thought that was really powerful. And again, I can't believe I'm quoting Tom Brady. But anyway. I um, watched some of that Super Soul session yesterday myself. So we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I, I was, was like, like, Am I really gonna take spiritual advice from Tom Brady? And I was like, Yes, I am. I know. That's exactly <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. You know, good on Oprah for bringing him on because I yeah, totally I won't say it entirely changed my opinion of him, but but yeah, he had some interesting no, things good. to say. Hi there, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to my new monthly online workshop series designed to help you get out of your own way and make being healthy feel easy and intuitive instead of stressful and overwhelming. Next up this Friday, July 20th is five things to do this summer to feel like your most vibrant and confident self by fall. You'll learn exactly what to do this summer to jumpstart your health and career goals. So you're three steps ahead by fall instead of wishing summer would never end. And it's totally free. So consider this your personal invitation to join in. Visit lauradolch.com slash workshops to save your spot for this and future workshops. That's lauradolch.com slash workshops. So how do you define wellness or well-being, whatever, for yourself at this point in your life? So for wellness, for me, it's feeling light in my body. It's feeling more in the flow than out of the flow. It's really physical sensations for me. When I feel good, I feel like I've got kind of almost like electricity coming out of my arms that feels like there's something that wants to be created and there's some forward momentum and my heart feels calm and I feel at ease. If I'm not feeling well, that's like sluggish, a migraine, a headache, being tired. And I know, know my feelings of wellness are really contingent on sleep and exercise, like most people. But I think for me, I'm especially sensitive. So those are non-negotiables, like sleeping well at night. And if I don't, taking a nap in the day and also making sure to get cardio most days, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's a walk, but it needs to be some sort of physical activity. Yeah. How did your approach to wellness change when you became a mother? Because I'm I'm certain that it did. <laughs> yeah, I took my well-being much more seriously because after the birth of my first daughter Lucy, I experienced postpartum depression and also postpartum psychosis and so that was my first mental health crisis, my first and thankfully only, but it made me really realize, wow, that it's a delicate balance our well-being. I never had like kind of hit the wall that way, you know, physically and with my well-being. So yeah, I realized I needed to find a way to take better care of myself and also reach out for support. It was a tough experience, but it was also, I think, made me a you know better teacher and better understanding that there's cases where we can be in the driver's seat of our well-being and in charge of our wellness and make steps. And there's times where 
you need professional help or you need medication and therapy and everything else under the sun, acupuncture, naturopath. You just like want the whole team, which I got and I got better, but I needed to call on the whole team. It wasn't something I could do on my own, which again is, you know, something with women that I work with is we do try to do it all ourselves. Absolutely. And it ends up exhausting, being so exhausting and being exhausted is not aligned with well-being. No, and it's not effective. I mean, at some point it's just not effective, right? I mean, I I call it one of the unconscious stories I talk about in my work that we sometimes tell ourselves, which is this lone wolf fallacy that, yeah, I can do it myself. I got it. (laughs) And maybe in some cases you do, but to your point, there's great wisdom in asking for support and knowing when Mm -hmm. to ask for support so that you can be effective and you can have someone help you create the roadmap to get where you want to go faster and with less stress. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I say absolutely. And the message of like women can have it all. We internalize is like, we need to be it all, do it all. And I think that that is heavy in the psyche of most women and it's something that you need to actively investigate. It's like, is that working for you? Is that making you happy? Is that leading to the outcomes you want. Absolutely. Yeah. And that reminds me, I wanted to ask you about your work around your program, Wise Mama, because I think, you know, there are a lot of mothers who listen to this podcast and I would love you to share a little bit about what Wise Mama is and what led you to create it. Yeah. So Wise Mama and my book, The Wise Mama Guide to Maternity Leave, which is available on Amazon, that really came out of me getting pregnant with baby number two. And wanting to have for myself a booklet of like, here are all the lessons I learned, frankly, the very hard way (laughs) through the challenging experience after the birth of my first daughter. So I wanted to create a guidebook with some principles that any mom could pick up and start to have some practical tools for coping for this big change that is being a new mom. So that was why I created it. Um, And it's a set of tools and resources and, and the book um, on my website. What's the sort of number one piece of advice you can give to moms who are sort of struggling to reclaim that sense of calm or purpose or, you know, some combination of those things? I would tell them lots of things. I think the first is like, you're not alone and it's not your fault. Like if you're having a tough time, like it's a hard transition and you don't need to suffer in silence. So if you think that you're having a tough time, like reach out and get help. So that would be number one. And then don't underestimate the sleep deprivation, what a big factor that is into your well-being. Some people are just more sensitive to it. So again, that's not like an inherent flaw or anything wrong with you. But if you're really sensitive and you're not getting sleep, like it's really hard to look at the bright side of things. I mean, I... I've been described by my friends as like the most like optimistic, bubbly, like happy, positive person. And I'm like, when I'm not sleeping, no, that is not who I see in the mirror. I see like the doom and glooms, the like black and white thinking of like, it's never going to be over ever. I mean, there's times after the birth of Lucy, I thought I'm going to be tired for the rest <laughs> of my life. Oh no. Yeah, yeah just I bet. It felt like it was going to last forever. So it's only temporary. It's treatable. If you do feel like you have a maternal mental health disorder or a mood concern, and there's a big spectrum and you can get support any level of the spectrum. There are, of course, medications, but there's also just therapy works really well as well. 
So there's all these options and there is support out there. Yeah, I was actually interviewing, I was mentioning to you earlier, I interviewed a woman named Sally Helgeson yesterday for the podcast. Her new book is called How Women Rise. And we talked about that. We talked about sleep and just, you know, the research is unequivocal. I mean, sleep is really the most important thing when it comes to general well-being. And you can get that sorted. The rest of it tends to fall into place a little bit better. How did you figure out what you need, what your non-negotiables are? Like, how did you figure that out over time? Well, sometimes the absence of them makes you really realize how valuable they are. So for me, I try to continue to be a guinea pig, like not get stuck in doing the exact same thing all the time. And not for me, I would say I tend to move towards being like rigid, control freaky type. So I try to like let myself not always be like, there's a wellness checklist, ABCD, you know, (laughs) which sometimes I do go into that mode when I'm like, oh, things are like, kind of feeling like they're getting off or like, I don't feel like I'm in the flow. I will go back to like, here's five wellness goals each day. And, and I like mark them and say, okay, I've sort of only been meditating for a couple minutes here and there. I need like this week, like every day I'm doing 10 minutes or 20 minutes and I've got to try a new exercise class. Cause I felt like I've gotten bored with the ones that I've been doing. Or some days we're like, going on a run by myself is really hard. It like takes all of my strength to like go exercise by myself. So those are the days you like pull in, you're like, let's do a soul cycle. (laughs) Let's get back to a group pack so that I just have someone tell me what to do. Yeah. For me, it's like evolving that and then noticing, hey, things are kind of out of whack or I need something new and then recommitting, but not getting, it doesn't feel like for me having like this, specific regimen that I need to do, that feels constricting. Yeah. I'm trying to be looser about that. But I would say like getting a good amount of sleep is I always try to do that. And I just don't stay up late. I don't really watch TV. I just after dinner and the girls are asleep, I read a book and then I fall asleep. (laughs) So I'm not out raging (laughs) (laughs) shockingly. But and then I meditate every day. But it might be five minutes and it might be 20 minutes. Yeah. Is there anything that you do that you consider self-care that kind of wouldn't show up in a book about health and wellness? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Sometimes I think just like cuddling with my girls, like if I have a moment during the day and I'm in between things, I'll come and spend, you know, some time with them because that's another thing is reframing that I've created a flexible work-life balance because that's what I want to be able to do. So when that opportunity comes up, taking advantage of it. Or even, you know, um, my mom lives nearby. We try to go on a walk, you know, during the week. And that's been interesting to just see like giving yourself permission to do things like take a yoga class in the middle of the day or go to acupuncture in the middle of the day or just see a friend for coffee. So even, you know, some people might go, oh, well, like you have all the time to do that and you create your own schedule. I can't do that. But it's still hard, even if you manage your schedule to actually prioritize things in the work day. So I would question if you say, oh, I can't do that. Maybe try it once and see, you know, especially, you know, if you're in a corporate setting to notice if you just tell people like, Hey, Thursdays at lunch is when I go for my run. I'll be away always from 12 to 1 on Thursdays. 
the world's not going to end. That's right. And no one will probably even notice. That's right. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I'm so glad that you said that because you're the only one who can give yourself that permission and the repercussions are rarely as dramatic as you think that they are going to be. Yeah. And so I can say like, trust me, I've been in both settings and it's hard to do it. So it's a practice worth starting wherever you are. Yeah. Just no, I love that. make things a priority and then try it. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that. Just try it. Just experiment and see what works. Absolutely. Yeah. What's next for you, Lisa? What are you excited about? Yeah, I'm working on uh, my second book. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, the goal with that is to, you know, be a guest like Tom Brady on Oprah's (laughs) Super Soul. I hear you, sister. Let's do that. Uh, That's what's up next. What's the topic? Are you willing to share? It'll be about this stuff that we've talked about, but I haven't picked a title yet. We'll see. That's all right. Well, we'll look yeah. forward to hearing more about that for sure. What's the best place for people to connect with you? LisaAbramson.com on my website. And I share tips and I have the meditation challenge and lots of free goodies. So I would love to see you guys there. Yeah, I love it. And I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lisa. I think this was especially helpful for framing how to fit these practices in even when you have a lot of other demands on your time. So thank you for reminding everyone about that. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a women-forward workspace designed for community, work, and wellness. Not just a desk and a co-working space, The Riveter is a transformative movement for all women and their advocates to invite ambition. The Riveter provides the support, resources, and amenities to build successful businesses. Their members are entrepreneurs, remote workers, consultants, and everyone in between. They even have a community membership plan that provides access to professional development and fitness programming without the desk. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle's Capitol Hill and Fremont neighborhoods, and a third location in West LA with more locations coming soon. If you're interested, visit info.theriveter.co, that's C-O, slash women on the rise for a special offer for women on the rise listeners. That's info.theriveter.co slash women on the rise.